We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Hey, everyone. You know what it's like. You've walked into that building, or should I say both buildings before? One you walk into, and it almost looks institutional. The walls are pretty much bare. Teachers busily go about their business while administrators stay in the front office doing their thing, passing down papers and signing work orders and making sure that all the initiatives are properly followed. And then there's the other building, the building that you walk into and the halls are a little messy. There's students in the hallways, teachers in the hallways talking to students. The administrators are walking around and there's just a different feeling. What if I told you something you already know. You can feel the climate of any building as soon as you walk into it. You know what I'm talking about. And even better, today, Dr. Carla Lige explains even more in depth to us about exactly what that feeling is all about. Hey, everyone, Dr. Jones here with another episode of Seeing to Lead. And and this week, I talked to Dr. Carla Lige, and she does a fantastic job of talking to us about our need to focus on the idea that culture matters now more than ever before. She definitely tells us about that climate piece I just mentioned, and she talks about leaders having to guide self-care for all those in their building. Not just talk about it, but actually guide it. It's no good to require something or insist on something being done without offering the support and tools needed to make sure it gets done. You know, we also had a great conversation about connections and how connections are everything. You have to make sure that you are in the right circles with people who will open doors of opportunity for you. You know, it reminds me a lot of that whole, you become the average of the top five people you spend the most time with and how that matters so much in our lives. Yet we don't necessarily practice it and even more rarely teach it to students in our buildings, yet we still require them to behave better, to do more academics, to perform better, again, without giving them the skills or support needed to do that. Look, this is a great conversation with Dr. Liget where she just gets really authentic about the need for leaders to support, engage, and empower their teachers. And the lessons she talks about and examples she gives also apply to teachers better supporting, engaging, and empowering their students. So without taking any more of your time, as I like to say, let's get to getting better on Seeing to Lead. I would say a leader needs to encourage self-care and encourage teachers, let them know that it's okay to not be okay, right? It's okay to take a break right? The students will still be here. We will still be here as a community to support you. So that is what I would recommend. Focusing on, remember when you were a teacher, remember how it felt for you and bring back to 
self-care for your teachers and acknowledging and appreciating them for what they do. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Dr. Carla Lige is a native of Shreveport, Louisiana. She's a two-time graduate of Capella University, where she obtained her Doctor of Education degree with the emphasis of Educational Leadership and Management in March of 2016, as well as an MBA. In addition, she holds a bachelor's degree in mass communications from Dillard University, a master's degree in journalism from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, and a master's degree in educational leadership and policy studies from the University of Texas at Arlington. She currently works at UNT in Denton, Texas, as an adjunct professor in the educational psychology department and is also a curriculum and instruction director for a local charter district. Dr. Liget also works as a real estate agent for EXP Realty LLC. Carla's a member of the National Sorority of Phi Delta Kappa Incorporated, as well as the Order of the Eastern Star. She serves as a volunteer for Habitat for Humanity, Girl Scouts of Texas, and a Deputy Voters Registrar for Denton County. Dr. Liget is the author of Creating a Training Manual for Technology Integration in the Secondary Classroom. She has also authored Unicorns, Affirmations, and Writing Coloring Book for ages 4 to 10. Lastly, Carla is the CEO of two businesses, Above All Publishing, LLC, as well as Keys in Hand Realty Group, LLC. Dr. Liget is a woman of many talents. She currently resides in Louisville, Texas with her two daughters, Chloe and Janaya. I am super excited to have Carla on the show today because as you can tell from hearing her bio, definitely a woman of many talents. Welcome, Carla. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. I am so happy to be here and to share, you know, what I feel about education. This is going to be great because you have such a diverse perspective of all different aspects with your volunteering, everything. So, you know, I read a lot of those titles and different things you do, but could you just start us off, the listeners off by rounding out your bio for us by kind of explaining to us how all this comes together to you as a person and what got you into education? What was that driving force? So what got me into education was other educators shadowing me, right? So when I was an undergrad in New Orleans, Louisiana, at Dillard University, which is HBCU, I volunteered as a math instructor for a Coca-Cola program that they had in the local community. And so I would go out and, you know, volunteer and tutor like the third graders in math. And I absolutely loved it. And one of the educators was looking at me while I was, was shadowing me while I was actually tutoring a student and was like, you should really be a teacher. And I was like, no, I don't 
don't want to be a teacher. Because <laughs> at the time, I was majoring in mass communications and I wanted to be a world news anchor. You know, I didn't think about getting into education and teaching students. But long story short, let me fast forward. Um, I actually was a newspaper reporter for in Daytona Beach, Florida, after I graduated my undergrad. And so there, I also got into a hand of volunteering and tutoring students at a local elementary school there too. And so then I kept getting touch points of being with students, right? And so something told me, you know what? I think I'm meant to be in education, <laughs> not a news anchor, not a newspaper reporter. And I end up moving to, I'm going to fast forward, I ended up moving to Dallas and went to a job fair in Dallas and got hired right on the spot by a middle school here to be a math teacher. And I was only certified journalist four through eight. So that's very rare to be hired as a math teacher coming out the gate. And so I fell in love with it. And so that's how I got into education. So you get into education. I mean, you talk about it's very rare to get hired out of the gate as a math teacher, much less a math teacher that is about journalism. Correct, correct. So, so, So the person that interviewed me, you know what really got me in the door? me being an Eastern star. And I'm going to say that because the person interviewing me, he was a Mason. And he was like, oh, so you're my sister. Oh, I can hire you. And so I, I got hired because I was, you know, his sister, you know, Mason, you know, he was a Mason. I was an Eastern star. So that's what got me in the door. You know what? I, I'm so glad you brought that up because we talk often about people that have chances to do things. And especially in schools today, when we're talking about equity and access and helping students with the ability to believe that they can do better because of opportunity. Absolutely. One thing that I talk about with my students is that connections is everything. If you're connected to the right people, you can succeed in life, right? Or they'll make sure you get there. So making sure you're in the right circles, you're on the right bus with the right people, that will open up so many opportunities and so many doors for you in the future. I love that you said on the right bus and referenced the energy bus, but I, you know, the right circles, how often I think about how often, at least at the high school level that I have discussions with students and I say, you know, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so it's difficult for adults to kind of cull that, that group that they're with, much less your high school student or your middle school student. How can we as leaders get students and even, okay, let's be honest, sometimes teachers, other adults, how can we get people to cull that group or to make sure that if they're living in negativity or around negativity or a short-sighted group, we support them in getting out of that or empower them to get out of that? So, So one thing I did at one of the schools I worked for, we started a mentoring program. So it was for the girls that were receiving the most referrals, right, in the school. So we wanted to make sure that they had at least us to be their mentors, right? So the teachers that were actually rooting for them and wanted to see them succeed. So we did a lot of like classes that was, you know, catered towards self-imagery, you know, self-discipline, looking at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I can do this. So a lot of classes around self-motivation and motivating them, right? And putting them out there to say, hey, guys, I know I've done a lot of bad decisions and made a lot of bad decisions, but hey, I got two, I got two teachers that are rooting for me. And so, you know, they had the confidence because they had someone in their corner. So that is what teachers and educators need to do now is making sure that you get that group of students that you see are struggling, mentor them and show them and be the role model and show them that, hey, I got your back. I'm here for you. So that is one thing that we need to shift and do more. 
Awesome. And you talk about role model and how important we all know that. It's funny because we make a shift, right? When we talk about students, we talk about role model. When we talk about leaders interacting with those they lead, we talk about modeling and we take off that role model piece. You mentioned the idea of becoming mentors for students and showing them, hey, I've got your back. I'm supporting you. Let's blow it up a little bit. How can leaders do that with teachers? Because, you know, we know the old stories about the four o'clock parking lot and the teacher's lounge and all that, where that negativity swells. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So so the one thing that, you know, as, as when I was a teacher for eight years, I'm going to say eight years, but I'm still teaching now on the university level. But as a teacher, when you have those leaders that like involve you in their campus instructional leadership team, Right. So they give you opportunities to be a leader. They give you an opportunity to lead a department, right? Or lead a training, training your peers. So giving those teachers the opportunity to be in front and to allow their voice to be heard, that goes a long way, right? So you ever hear about, you know, you work as hard as the person who works as hard for you, right? So you're showing me that you trust me right? With your staff, you trust my expertise, right? I'm going to work 10 times harder for you because you put me in a leadership position and put me out in the front to where my voice is heard and I can also have my peers' voice be heard. So that's what we need to do as leaders, making sure that avenue is open for teachers. You know what's really powerful about that is the idea of pleasing people and wanting to please people. And so often, I think when we say that we lose something because now you're talking about something very empowering and putting something out there and that that trust piece. I think you've really done something big where if you pick me to do something with your staff, I'm going to say, hey, look, I really want to do a good job because this is important and they've trusted me and I own that trust where if we get caught up in the language of, oh, kids want to please their teachers until they're in about fifth or sixth grade and they're no longer interested in pleasing them. And it's a way for us to dismiss them shutting off. That's right. That's right. But you know, the same thing works with students too, right? So, you know, one thing I would do when I was a teacher, I had this student, man, he drove me crazy every day, right? Behavior wise, right? But I got him on my side. How do I get him on my side? I made him my person that handed out papers, the person that sharpened pencils, the person that led the line, the person that he was basically my go-to person, right? So I kind of flipped the script a little bit, right? So I would go to his football games, you know, I would hang out like, hey, I'm here to support you. And so he saw me so much more in his outside life that once in the classroom, I'm giving him more, you know, opportunities to be in front, right? He became like, I want to say my bestie, but he was like, okay, I like her now. You're like, she cool, you know? So, so the same thing works on the student level, right? If you have that struggling student that is giving you so many challenging problems in the classroom, make him your bestie. And I wouldn't say your bestie, but teacher's pet or whatever, what we used to call it back in the day, but get him on your side, right? If you get him on your side, he's going to work 10 times harder for you. Well, now, careful, because everything you just said sounds like you're talking about the importance of relationships. And relationships are crucial in education. <laughs> it is very important, teacher-wise, leaders, and students. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you were in education. You said you were in the classroom for eight years. You're still teaching. You're in the classroom, just at a different level. And you're doing curriculum. And this is what makes me wonder this. So you came to education as a second career type deal. So what are you passionate about in education? I mean, something, yes, it kept showing up and calling you, but you answered the call 
And so now what keeps you going every day and staying with answering that call? Because I truly believe that when we're in education and we're answering that call for anything, really, you have to answer that call every day. Every day you get out of bed. Every single day. So what keeps me is my heart for it. I love education and love seeing students succeed. So my background is also special education. So I was an educational diagnostician for five years. And so special education was my love, right? Math and science was my love. What helped me to stay in education is that light bulb. I love to see when the students are excited about math. So a lot of students met me first and they were like, I hate math. I don't want to be in here. I don't want to do this. By the time they left my classroom, oh my gosh, I love this so much. I want to always do math, right? So even to this day, my students that were in college, they're like, thank you so much for pushing me so much in Algebra 1. I hate it when I met you, but now it, it makes so much more sense now that I'm in college, right? So for me, standing education is that heart for it and seeing the students excited about it. You know, and now that I'm a director of curriculum and instruction and I get to work with people that write the curriculum, it's keeping them excited too, right? So being their support system. So that's what keeps me in. It's the love for the students and the love to seeing the, the love of seeing them succeed and be happy about it. Can you think of a time where you realized that? Talking to you, you seem like you're very reflective about why you're doing things and you're very attached to your why. Can you think of when you became cognizant of that? When you were like, oh yeah, that's it. Oh gosh. I'm going to say 2010. <laughs> wow. You, you broke out that's a, a date time. on me. I was just looking yeah, for an example. Time, but I'm going to say 2010. So in 2010, I was teaching eighth grade math, right? At a, a local school in Pleasant Grove. And I also transitioned in that same year to being a secondary math interventionist in a district in Garland, right? And I want to say in that transition period is when I was cognizant of it because I was, you know, half foot in the, in the door in the classroom, half the foot outside the door of the classroom, right? So eighth grade, I'm teaching math. I transitioned to being a secondary math interventionist. Now I'm working with teachers, ESL students, making sure that they don't have that language barrier and that we're teaching them and designing the curriculum around, making sure they can, they can do the math and succeed, right? Because when they are have that language barrier, it's very hard for them to understand how to solve a math problem, right? But it's our job as educators to break it down and to make it make sense. So I would say during that time is when I was like, you know what? I am in this for them. I love this. I want to stay here. You know, so... Because when you see an ESL baby struggle and see them succeed, you know, a couple months later, because you have changed the way that you teach and changed the way you do things to make them be more cognizant of their learning ability, that's when the light bulb goes off. You're like, wait a minute, I am meant to do this. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, on such a shallow level, just the importance of what you said there, especially with EL students, on such a much more shallow level than, and, than helping them understand math concepts, I do welcome sign Wednesdays and I at arrival every day in front of my building on Wednesdays, I hold up encouraging signs and positive messages on signs and we take pictures together and all that. And what I started doing is on the back of the sign, I put the same message in Portuguese. We have a heavy Brazilian Portuguese population. And I flipped it around when the students that I knew were AL students were getting off the bus 
and held it up and they came over and they took a picture and I had so many of, I mean, their smiles were awesome. Now, granted, the sign said, start your day with a smile, but their smiles were so just awesome for me to look at. And they thanked me because they had the opportunity to be part of something. Yeah, and you and you took the time to recognize that, to, re- to recognize their culture and their language. So, you know, a lot of teachers do that now, right? So a lot of it is around building culture, right? And to understand each other's culture. Because now we have a lot of schools with, you know, 90 plus nationalities, you know, in the school. And so you have to be more cognizant and recognize that culture matters and that you evolving your curriculum and evolving your time spent with them to recognizing their culture and embracing it. Yeah. So, and you did that for them. So that's what the smile was. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about that culture. And I know an individual, Bo Ryan wrote a book called Brilliance in the Building, and it has to do with PLCs in urban schools. And the first part that he hits, it's broken into like five different parts. The first parts he hits is build a culture of so that everybody feels as if they are cared about and you have to care about people for them to feel that way. Yes. So that's one thing that we tap into now. So the biggest topic now is social emotional learning, right? So making sure that students feel like they belong in a school. You know the climate of a school as soon as you walk into the building, right? You can feel it as soon as you walk in the building. So making sure that you are tapping into their social emotional learning and making sure that you're looking at, hey, how do I make sure that I give you a sense of belonging and that you belong here? So that is very crucial now, too. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So you talked about that moment that they get at that light bulb moment where all of that comes together as your why. And you kind of, you fell into that, not really fell into it, belonged to you, but you recognized it when you were moving from one position to another. Oftentimes in the busyness of the educational world, educators tend to slip away from understanding or realizing or acting on their why because they're getting involved in A, B, C, D. I've got to do this. I've got to plan this. I've got to correct this. How do we as leaders support teachers when they start to slip away from that why and engage them in really finding that and reflecting on that like you did? Is that something that can be forced instead of being matter of happenstance? Is that something leaders can help educators do? Actually, they can. Yes. So let me say this. The biggest thing right now in the state of education right now, we're seeing a lot of teachers leave, right? The profession. So, you know, daily you're seeing people walk out the classroom, right? And 
The reason why is because leaders have forgotten the self-care piece. We have to ensure that we have time built in to the schedule of all the things that teachers have to do. Self-care is number one, right? Not making them feel guilty about taking off a day, right? Not making them feel guilty about having a sub in the classroom. So bringing it back and reflecting on when you were in the classroom as a leader, okay? I mean, as a teacher, how did you feel? And what did you want your leader to do for you? So having those morale boosters, you know, having those opportunities to say, hey, you can come today in jeans, right? Jeans makes a difference. You have a lot of leaders that say, no, you need to come professional dress every single day. That doesn't work in this day and age now, right? Teachers want to be able to wake up, feel comfortable when they walk into a classroom just for a day or two, not every day. So jeans Fridays, having a day of no meetings after school, right? Giving them the space to go home and just be with their families. So I would say a leader needs to encourage self-care and encourage teachers, let them know that it's okay to not be okay, right? It's okay to take a break, right? The students will still be here. We will still be here as a community to support you. So that is what I would recommend. Focusing on, remember when you were a teacher, remember how it felt for you and bring back to self-care for your teachers and acknowledging and appreciating them for what they do. That's so fantastic. You know, just what great advice, the idea of, and how you get there, the idea of remembering when you were in a classroom and what worked for you and what you wished your leader did. And, And let me just add this on too. We just went through a pandemic, right? We're still in the pandemic. But we went through the two hardest years in education, right? There there is no longer the normal. We're all trying to figure out what is normal now. You can't go back to the way it was before. Everything has changed. The students have changed. You have changed as a leader. And the teachers have definitely changed, right? So just remembering that we're going to get back to what is normal. But right now, this is not normal. And understanding that and reflecting on it. And that's such a powerful thing to do. So let me switch gears a little bit about this. You're the author of two books that that I have to ask you about because one, I definitely want to ask you about because it it seems like it has such good practical use in a classroom, especially now, right? After we just talked about the pandemic. But the other one I need to talk about just because it has piqued my interest so much by the title. We'll start with the first one. Talk to me a little bit about creating a training manual for technology integration in the secondary classroom. What, is, what does that look like and what brought you to writing that? Yes. So I had the beauty or the privilege of starting at a brand new school, right? And with a brand new school, we were considered an Apple school. So we had all of the Apple products, right? We had the iPods, we had the iPads, we had MacBooks, we had every single technology piece you could think of. Also within my career, I was able to work at a math science technology campus where everything we did was through technology. And as the teachers, we were in charge of creating iTunes U courses, right? To where students were able to access the course, get all the materials and things like that. And now, you know, we're in the age of Canvas that um, a lot of districts are using now as well. So technology integration in secondary classroom is is a very essential part of curriculum and instruction right? Our students are 
they grew up in technology world. They want to be able to inter- interact with technology, right? They want to do it with, you know, Spotify, with TikTok, with, you know, every single thing you could think of, you know, Snapchat, things like that. How can we incorporate technology in the classroom where it's fun, engaging, and they're still learning what we want them to learn? And so that was one thing I did as a teacher. I made sure my classroom was paperless, right? So that means that you're doing everything through the iPad. I'm teaching you how to pass the EOC exam directly from, you know, the TI-84 calculator or, you know, do your iPad, right? And, and your MacBook. So I created all of my lessons through there. So my kids were stronger 21st century learners coming out of my classroom, going into college and being able to transfer that knowledge, that technology base. So that's why I wrote the book, because technology integration in secondary classroom is essential. You have to come over to this century. There's no longer of the paper and pencil. Let's get back to technology, get to technology and make it fun and engaging for the students. That's so key because we talk about engaging students and the students of today that we're looking at are just like you said, they're different. And you know what? The students, when I'm retiring, when I'm walking out of the building and the next group of teachers and the next principal or leader or whoever is coming in, those students are going to be different. And to be honest, the teachers are different. Teachers, new teachers that are coming into the building, the younger teachers. It's so key to do that. But one of the arguments we get often is that you're right. I want them to be engaged, but you know, gosh, darn it. Why aren't they engaged? They think I'm here to entertain them. So talk to me a little bit about that difference between entertainment and engagement. Where's that line? So you are there to entertain them. Okay. Can I say that? I love that you just said that. I know I'm going to get slapped for saying it, but it is what it is. (laughs) You are there to entertain them. They should be excited to walk into your classroom. They should be excited to come back the next day. You are there to entertain and to teach them, right? And to make it fun. So if if it takes you, you know, doing a YouTube video and having them watch a YouTube video of you teaching a lesson, you know, you're doing a flip classroom because that's what they want. They want to be able to use technology. Now, if you are afraid as a teacher of incorporating technology because you think they're going to be, you know, playing games and things like that, get Google Classroom. Google Classroom lets you monitor what they're doing on the computers and shut the thing down. Shut it, you know, shut it down to where they only can go to certain sites, right? So that's a lot of the pushback is that they think that the kids are going to be playing games and doing things like that. If you have the right technology to block those things out, you, you won't have that fear. Plus, if you ever go into a classroom, I love being in classrooms. If you ever go into a classroom where they're using gamification for assessment, to you want to talk about engagement with those yes. students? Yes. <laughs> they're all over it. And all they're trash it. talking and making sure they get the right answers. It's awesome. Yes, my favorite right now is virtual reality. So, you know, there's a lot of systems now where they're teaching the math concept or science concept through virtual reality. It's basically conceptual based, right? Because that's where we're going towards with the star test here in Texas. So it's, it's, it's an amazing thing that you can do now with technology. There's so many different tools. I just say, don't be afraid to use it. And you should incorporate it as much as possible in your curriculum, in your classroom. Right. And you don't want to punish the group for the few. Right. Exactly. You don't not do something because you're worried people are going to do it. You do something. And if they do it, you address those students and then you move on. That way, the larger group gets something from it. But 
I think it's Dave Burgess said it in Teach Like a Pirate. And then I think they echoed it when they wrote Lead Like a Pirate. That is your classroom something you could sell tickets to? And if you didn't have to go to class, if the students didn't have to attend your class, would they? And could you sell tickets to your class and fill your class? Yes. So. And that's the way it should be. I'm sorry. That's the way it should be. That's how you keep the students from not being dropouts. Who's going to be honest? Right. That's how and, you retain your students. And I'm glad you said dropouts because, and mentioned that because, look, we're in an incredibly serious business, right? This, th- What we do is for real. We're shaping the future. And the business that we're in is so serious that we lose sight of often that we can't take ourselves too seriously. Because once we do that, people don't want to have anything to do with it. Students aren't interested in somebody just standing there telling them the way things should be or need to be. They're interested in diving in, maybe creating their own type of situation or rules or creative solution or things like that because they get to have their hands on it and they get to invent, which is what's key for students in this day and age. That's right. That's right. That's why I love now a lot of districts are doing career and technology classes to where even if you don't want to go and do, you know, a degree, you just want to take up a trade, you can now do that through the high school level. So, and then you can graduate with, you know, certain hours, like in automotive, you know, in, you know, cosmetology, you know, there's so many different avenues of not just going straight to college, you know? So uh, that's what I love about it. Career technology schools and the classes are very crucial for those students that just want to come and pick up a trade, you know, and graduate on time. We have vocational high schools, vocational technical high schools up here in Massachusetts, and they that's what it is. The students do a week of class and a week of trades. My oldest is actually, and it's funny because the looks I get, because there's that political argument between the college prep schools and the Vokes. But people look at me, they're like, what are you talking about? You sent your oldest to a Vogue tech school. You're the principal of an academic, a, a college prep high school. I'm like, you know why? Because that's what my kid wanted and that's what he's passionate about. And you should see him flying. And even better, my youngest, who we we were talking about before, you saw a picture of before as my backdrop, he wants to be a blacksmith. There's not a college prep high school around that's going to give him that skill. So when he leaves, but I'll tell you what, the Vogue tech will. That's right. That's right. Because, again, students want choices. Right. And I'm going to go back to technology. That's a choice. Right. So you're offering that choice in your classroom and you're offering that choice with the career and technology classes. Right. So giving them the opportunity, hey, if I want to be a graphic designer, you know, for Disney or Pixar, you know, I can I can do that now on the high school level and graduate with the certificate. So just giving them choices and, you know, allowing them to buy the ticket. Right. Because they, you choose a school, right, based on the reputation and based on, you know, your family members. And, and they say, hey, this was an amazing school for my kid because they got X, Y, and Z out of it. So just making sure that you are the premier location based on what you offer students. Yeah. So talking about seriousness, I've got to go to the second book. This is killing me because of the <laughs> title. I need to know what this is about. So you also published a coloring book, and it's called... Unicorns, affirmations, and writing. <laughs> so, but for age, don't let me forget for ages four to ten. Although you know, I'm up past half a century, and I could probably use it myself. But talk to me. What's it about? Yes. So I created it because number one, unicorns are very popular amongst the age grade, the age level of four through ten. So I had to incorporate some unicorns. So you're going to see unicorns all throughout the book. 
right? And you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna see a lot of affirmations around the unicorns. Like you are amazing, you are beautiful, you are a life changer, you can change the world. So a lot of different affirmations for positivity because that age group four to ten, that's when you want to catch them, right? That's when you want to show them that hey, the world is positive. Anything that you want to be, you can be, right? So that is the crucial age level right there. And then with the writing piece, because again, four to 10, that's when you're focusing on those writing skills. So I wanted to incorporate that also in the coloring book. So it's about 85 pages of awesomeness. (laughs) That's a great description. 85 pages of awesomeness, just pure awesome. That's fantastic. Well, you know, we've said a lot and we're getting close to the end of the show here, but I always ask two questions of my guests when they come on. The first one is if you were not an education, if you were not an educator, who, not what would you be? Who, who would I be? So I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say two things of who I would be, right? Fair enough. I, I'm multi-talented, right? Like I do a lot of different things. So, so one thing I would be, or who I would be a famous world news anchor, right? Because my background is news. I still have a passion for reporting the news. So that is the who I would be, a famous world news anchor, right? Number two. So one thing I do in my life as well, too, I mentor real estate agents, right? So I mentor brand new ones coming into the business. So if I was to choose a who, it would be a top brokerage in Dallas, Texas, that is a family to brand new agents into the business that want to grow and succeed in the business. So that's what I got. Perfect. I want to push on one thing on the real estate piece. Why so interested in mentoring new real estate agents that come in to the point where you want like a giant business that does it? And I, and I might've heard wrong, but you said something about almost like a family. Yeah. So what people know me as a motivator. Motivation and motivating others is my passion, right? That is what drives me. If I see you being successful, I feel good. It makes me feel good. So, and I want to make you be successful and feel good too, right? And so for me, it's the motivational piece. Being able to motivate someone else to show them that, hey, you can do this and you are not in this alone. And that's why the family piece is in there. We are a family. We're going to work through all of this together. We're going to learn together, grow together, and do business together. So that's what I, that's what, that's why. I am so glad I asked that. You're just dropping all kinds of gold nuggets. So much so, I can't wait to hear your answer to this one. Okay. My my last question is, well, I say it's my last. Who knows if I ask a follow-up? I'll try not to, but we'll <laughs> see. My, my last question is, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders and teachers? as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they lead and teach? I'm going to say patience and understanding. Patience and understanding. And the the reason why I say that, and I've already touched on it before, the understanding that we are in a new world of education, right? The way you lead is going to be totally different between now in the next couple of years, the teachers you touch and have the opportunity to lead, right, are going to be totally different 
from any other teacher you had in your career prior to. Because we have changed and we have evolved based on the trauma, let's say the trauma, that we all just went through in the past two years. So understanding that the teacher is different now, you as a leader, you are different, and the patience that it will take to navigate through the rest of your career. Absolutely brilliant. Dr. Carla, (laughs) you've been fantastic on this show. You've given so many good things to think about and ways to get there. If people want to follow up with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely Twitter. So I am all over Twitter. So I am Dr. Lee J is my Twitter Twitter handle. If you want anything with real estate, it's Keys and Ham Realty Group on Instagram and Keys and Ham Realty Group DFW on Facebook. Awesome. I'll put all that in the show notes so that people can easily get a hold of you uh, to follow up. And look, really, thank you. I really appreciate everything. You've been fantastic and people are going to love us. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.